When my son and daughter, Jeremiah and Hannah, were oh, three or four years old, three and four uh, years old, she's about 16 months older than he is, so she may have been four, he may have been three. We moved into a house with automatic garage doors, with uh, garage door openers with buttons that you had to push. <clears throat> On the day we moved in, I had the garage door opener in my pocket. It was the first house we lived in that had automatic garage doors. And I had the garage door opener in my pocket and we got out of the car, or the truck actually, and I told Hannah and Jeremiah to watch the garage doors. And then I called out, open sesame! And I pushed the button on the controller in my pocket, which they didn't see, and the garage door began to open and it got about halfway open, and then I said, stop! and I pushed the button again. <clears throat> and they were so surprised. So I did that a couple of more times, and then I said, why don't you try it? You give the command. And so they would say, open sesame, and I'd push the button, and then they would say, stop, and then I would stop it. And we did that a few times, and they were just delighted. For a few minutes, I had them do that, and they enjoyed it, it was a lot of fun. And for a little while, they believed in a miracle. They believed in something supernatural. Finally, I showed them the button and how the button worked. As children, we easily believe in miracles and all kinds of things that seem to us to be supernatural. When we get older, we learn that many things we believed as children were just fantasies and that there were explanations for most of the things that seem miraculous to us. In fact, most people today are taught that miracles are not real. They simply do not exist. The great majority of science and science teachers, not all of them, but the great majority, teach that there is not anything that is supernatural. They deny anything that is supernatural. Although they are not able to explain everything that exists and everything that happens, they believe that, given enough time, scientific research will discover the explanations. They simply do not believe in miracles. Now, if you do not believe in miracles, you do not believe in supernatural acts or supernatural power. And if you do not believe in anything supernatural, you do not believe what the Bible says, and you do not believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. And today we're going to look at part of the Bible that describes an incredible miracle. In this miracle, God shows his supernatural power by the faith and obedience of his people and by delivering them from destruction. Today we're going to read about a miracle. In the book of Daniel, the Bible tells us that the king of Babylon built a gold statue of himself that was nine feet wide and 90 feet tall. Then he ordered all the people to bow down and worship this gold image. Anyone who did not worship the gold image would be thrown into a fiery furnace and burned alive. Three young Jewish men who had been taken captive and trained to work in the government of Babylon 
refused to bow down and worship this gold image. They were young men who worked for Nebuchadnezzar. He knew them. He knew their names. Now, God used their decisions to perform an amazing miracle. Please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 16 through 26. Chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, verses 16 through 26. Here, beginning in verse 16, we read, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the fire exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound, tied up, into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, for I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. What a wonderful, incredible event is described here. Now, this is more than just a story. The writing is the kind of writing that is used for history. And the characters are real historical characters. There is no evidence or reason to deny the truthfulness of the events of this part of the Bible. The only reason to deny the story is true is because you don't, do not believe in anything supernatural. Because for this to be true, something supernatural has to occur. But here we discover that God has supernatural power and does supernatural things. As I said earlier in this, in this dramatic historical event, God shows his supernatural power by the faith and obedience of his people and by delivering them from destruction. Now that's the big point or the big message or the central theme 
of the sermon today. God shows his supernatural power by the faith and obedience of his people and by delivering them from destruction. In this report that we just read, these three men show us something in which we discover four really important things about God and about God's people. First, the God of the Bible possesses supernatural power. Second, the miracle-working God makes his people different than other people. Third, God gives his, pow his people power to overcome temptation and to obey God. And fourth, God delivers his people. Now, for us to properly understand what happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we must first of all then understand the first thing we discover. And that is that the God of the Bible possesses supernatural power. You may not believe in the God of the Bible, but if you say you believe in the God of the Bible, then you must understand that the God of the Bible possesses supernatural power. Throughout the Bible, we read about God's supernatural power and supernatural miracles. The Bible begins with the story of creation. God made everything that exists, the sun, the stars, the moons, all the planets, all the galaxies, and the earth and everything in it, every little ant, every little termite, every little chigger, all the mosquitoes, all of these wonderful things, and more, like the Grand Canyon, God made it all. And he made it simply by commanding it. He made everything out of nothing. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, where it, where it is written, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, not made of things which are visible. That means that God simply spoke and made everything that exists. He just spoke. There was nothing. I used to think that when God created everything, that he just filled up space that was already there. But space didn't even exist. There was just nothing. And he spoke, and he created it all. Now, boys and girls and teenagers, I want you to really understand what this means. Imagine that you ask your mama for pizza for dinner. And she tells you to sit down at the table and you're looking for the pizza and then she simply says, let there be pizza. And there's a big pizza, maybe three of them on the table. It wasn't delivered. She didn't go to the store and buy it. It wasn't somewhere in the house that she suddenly found it and snuck it out. She just commanded it to come and be present on the table. Well, that's what God does. That's what he did in creation. And that is supernatural, miracle-working power. It doesn't obey any of the laws of nature. It is supernatural. It's a miracle. We see God's supernatural power throughout the Bible. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush that did not burn up. God parted the Red Sea and let more than two million Hebrews walk through on dry land in order to escape the Egyptian army. God fed these two million people food called manna that miraculously appeared on the ground every morning for 40 years, enough for over two million people every day. 
by the power of God, Joshua commanded the sun to stand still in the sky for a whole day while he defeated the enemies of Israel, and it did. And if you've studied even basic astronomy in school, you have to know that that's impossible. But it did. Because Joshua commanded it by the power of God, and God did it. A man named Jonah was swallowed by a big fish and stayed alive in the fish's belly for three days until the fish vomited him up. Jesus turned water into wine and healed a man more, born blind. One time he fed more than 5,000 with only a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Another time he did the same thing for over 4,000 people. Jesus walked on water in the middle of a raging storm. He commanded the violent wind and waves in the ocean to be still. And they obeyed. When his friend Lazarus died, Jesus could have gone earlier, but he didn't. He let him die, and then he let him lie in the grave for four days. And then he came and commanded Lazarus to come out of the grave, and Lazarus mir miraculously came back to life and walked out. Every one of these things are miraculous supernatural actions of God that show his supernatural miracle-working power. And these are only a few of the examples. This is the God that we worship today. He is full of awe and majesty and power beyond our comprehension, our ability to understand as we studied in our adult Bible study this morning. The God of the Bible possesses supernatural power, and we discover that here in this part of the Bible. Secondly, this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego teaches us that the miracle-working God of the Bible makes his people different than other people. The miracle-working God of the Bible makes his people different than other people. If we belong to God, if we are Christians, he makes us different. The Bible says we're new creations. You know, the old is gone. The new has come. Jesus says, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. You have to be made new. You have to be made different. These three young men were Jews who had been captured and carried away to Babylon as slaves. And God made them different. You see, when they were captured... Nebuchadnezzar took more than 10,000 other people, other Jews, captive, took them from Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar commanded his generals to bring young men to Jerusalem to be trained to serve him in the government of Babylon. Now, not all of the 10,000 captives were young men who were to be trained to serve Nebuchadnezzar, but quite Probably several hundred, if not a few thousand young Jews were included in the group who received training along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three young men were different than all the other people Nebuchadnezzar commanded to serve his gods and bow down and worship the gold image. All the other people obeyed Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not 
obey him. They were different. We can assume there were probably other young Jewish men from Nebuchadnezzar who had been trained in Nebuchadnezzar's school and were serving in the government. They must have bowed down and worshipped the gold image along with all the other people, including all of the other Jews who'd been taken captive, as well as all of the other citizens of Babylon. But these three men did not bow down. They were different. The first chapter of Daniel tells us something about how these three young men were different. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 18, the Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar ordered that all the young Jews receive food and wine from his kitchen. He wanted them to be healthy. He wanted them to be strong. He wanted them to be comfortable and happy so they would work hard and be good employees or good slaves, I should say. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not want to eat the king's food. So they asked the steward, that is their boss, who was in charge of them, if they could just eat vegetables and drink water. And their boss let them eat in vegetables and drink only water. Now this tells us something about the difference between these three young Jews and all the other people who worshipped the gold image, including other Jews who were taken captive. They were different. They obeyed God's laws about what Jews could eat. The purpose of these laws in the Old Testament about food was not to keep the Jews from getting fat or to make them healthy or to make them strong. The purpose was to show that they were God's people. They were not like all of the other people around them who did not belong to God. It was a sign that they were God's people. They obeyed these dietary laws. Their eating habits showed that there was something different about them. It pointed to a command from God that they obeyed, and by that, it pointed to their faith in God and the existence and reality of the only living God. The food they ate was one of the dramatic outward signs God gave them to remind them they were his people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jews. The Jews were descendants or children of Abraham, and the nation of Israel was God's chosen people. However, it's really important to understand that there was a difference between Jews who really had faith in God and Jews who did not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not just physical children of Abraham. Most importantly, they had the same faith as Abraham. In the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 6, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. In other words, Abraham believed in God and God declared him righteous for his faith in, in him. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, we read, only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham, which is a dramatic statement because there God through the Apostle Paul is drawing a line that separates everyone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ from being his people, and that includes the Jews. And at the time Paul wrote that, that was dramatic and absolutely necessary. 
So in order to be a true descendant of Abraham and really one of God's people, a Jew or anyone else had to have real faith in God, just like Abraham. Someone might ask, well, why did these three young men have this faith in God and not all the rest of the Jews? The Bible gives us the answer, and the answer is pretty simple. You see, this real faith in God is not something we learn or we decide or we uh, exercise our will to decide we're going to believe. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible tells us, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that, that is faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We find this statement in the New Testament, but we must remember that God does not have one way of salvation for people in the Old Testament and another way of salvation for people in the New Testament times. God does not have one kind of faith for people in the Old Testament times and another kind of faith for people in New Testament times. This means that God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and gave them faith in God. That's why they ate what God told them to eat because their eating habits showed they belonged to God and they really believed in God. They knew him. They were different than the Jews who refused uh, to... They were different from the Jews who used, used to obey the food laws until they were taken away slaves in Babylon and no longer obeyed the food laws. And they were different than all the rest of the people who were not Jews. You see, by his supernatural power, God gave them real faith in God. They believed God existed. They believed what God had done. And because of that faith, God had given them, they made decisions that presented a spectacular display of the power of God in their hearts and lives. So the first two things we learn from this part of the Bible are, number one, God possesses supernatural power. The God of the Bible possesses supernatural power. And number two, the miracle-working God makes his people different than other people. The third thing we discover is that God gives his people, to over, his people power to overcome temptation and obey God. God gives his people power to overcome temptation and obey God. If you're a Christian and you struggle with sin, understand that God isn't through with you when he saves you. It's just beginning. His salvation is this wonderful work of forgiving you, giving you eternal life, giving you a new heart, adopting you as a son or daughter of God. But then the work begins that the Bible calls sanctification. And that's just a big word for dealing with our sin, putting to death the sin in our lives, cleansing us of our sin, one sin at a time, sometimes two at a time. But that's what God does for the rest of our lives. But God gives us the power to overcome sin and to overcome temptation and to obey God. King Nebuchadnezzar confronted these three young men with a terrible threat and a horrific temptation. I want you to think for a moment what you would do 
If someone said to you, and they had the power to do it, and they tied you all up and said, I am going to throw you into a burning, fiery furnace unless you bow down and worship me as your God. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh, I, I, that wouldn't be a problem for me. But when you're faced with the threat of death, it's not your strength that's going to take you through that. It's the grace of God himself who will enable you to do that. You don't have to worry about being strong enough yourself because you're not. It's God who makes martyrs, not us. The king ordered them to serve his gods and to bow down and worship the gold image or get thrown into a burning fiery furnace. But these three young men told the king, made this incredible statement to the king, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us. But even if he does not deliver us, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image. We think God's going to save us. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to <laughs> worship your gold image. Throw us in the fire. They refused to serve Nebuchadnezzar's God and to worship the gold image. They obeyed God. And, and here now we see the reasons or the background for their obedience of God and their faith in God. In the first commandment, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And in the second commandment, God says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, and you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew these commandments. They'd been raised in them. They'd been taught them. So they, they obeyed God even in the face of the de death. They were able to obey God because God had made them different. Now, this does not mean that Christians always overcome temptation and never sin. Instead, this example shows us that we must rely on the power of God to overcome temptation and that the overall pattern of the Christian life is a pattern of repentance and obedience. And let me tell you this morning, you can have the most horrific sin in your life. And if God has saved you, he will grant you repentance and deliver you from that sin and restore you to a loving, worshiping, blessed relationship with God. In other words, this event does not teach us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were perfect. Rather, by their example, God teaches us that the faith he gives us motivates us and equips us to obey him and a habit of obedience prepares us to face temptation. Therefore, this historical event shows us that the God of the Bible possesses supernatural power, that the miracle-working God makes his people different than other people, and that God gives his people power to overcome temptation and obey God. Fourthly, then, and finally, this event teaches us that God delivers his people. God delivers his people. These three young men refused to obey Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. They disobeyed the king, and he was determined to burn them alive. But that is not what happened. 
There was a fourth man in the fire. He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from death. In fact, the fire did not burn them at all. Not even their clothing was burned. The turban, their, their, the hat, sort of hat thing they had on their head wasn't singed. Their eyebrows weren't singed. Their faces weren't even red. King Nebuchadnezzar declared that this fourth man is like the Son of God. This fourth man was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who appeared in physical form to save these three young men. This dramatic historical event prophesies or points to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to save all of his people. In the Gospel of John, the, the book of John, chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus tells the Pharisees, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify about me. In other words, he's telling the Pharisees, you're looking for eternal life in, in, in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is just talking about me. That's what Jesus is saying. This story is part of the scriptures that testifies about Jesus as the Son of God, the fourth man in the fire, the Savior of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, these three young men believed in Jesus Christ as he was revealed in the Old Testament. They didn't have his name, but Jesus was revealed in the Old Testament, and they believed in him. God had given him, given them faith in the one who would be their substitute, who would be their savior. They had been taught the Old Testament. They knew they had sinned and broken God's laws. They knew the judgment for sin was death. They had worshiped at the temple, and they saw the sacrifices that were offered to God for the forgiveness of sin over and over and over again. They had faith in God's promise to accept the substitute to pay for their sin and guilt and forgive their sins. You see, when they witnessed the sacrifices, they saw something more than animals being killed. By the grace of God, they realized that God was making a promise that he would send the substitute they didn't know who that substitute was. They didn't know when he would come, but they, they believed in God's promise. We have more light today, but you know, we still believe in God's promise. That's the reason we're saved. Because we look back at the cross. We look back at Jesus, and we believe that's God's promise to save. In the same way, they look forward to God's promise that they saw in the sacrifices and in other places in the Old Testament. They had faith in God's promise to accept the substitute to pay for their sin and guilt and forgive their sins. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 6, these young men were taught that this substitute was not an animal, but a man who would come to pay the penalty for their sins. Starting in verse 3, we read the words of God through the prophet Isaiah. He is despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what they were taught. They were looking for this sinless man who would be the substitute. And they believed in him. And how did they come to believe in him? By the Spirit of God applying the Word of God that they were taught to their souls and making them born again exactly the same way God saves us, by applying His Word to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they were like sheep gone astray. They knew they had turned to their own way to live for themselves. They knew they were full of iniquity, and they rejoiced in faith that the Lord promised to lay all their sin and iniquity on a man who would be their Savior. They had faith in the living God and in the Word of God, and they believed God would send a Savior to forgive their sins and give them everlasting life. The rest of the Jews who worshipped the gold image did not possess real faith in the real God. They were like the Jews who came out of Egypt with Moses. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 through 19 describe this terrible condition of unbelief in the hearts of the Jews who Moses led out of slavery in Egypt. In these verses the Bible tells us that all who came out of Egypt rebelled against God. All who came out of Egypt rebelled against God except for Joshua and Caleb and their families. And they all died in the wilderness more than 2 million people. And verse 19 tells us they could not enter the promised land because of unbelief. And today, people will not enter God's promised land of heaven and life forever only because of unbelief. But God saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave them real faith in the real God, and he saved them from death and hell everlasting. Listen to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 29. He declares, there is no other God who can deliver like this. What does all this mean for us today? My dear friend, if you are not a Christian, you are not one of God's people, and God will not deliver you from death and hell. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The only way to live with God forever is to trust in Jesus Christ, who was the fourth man in the burning fiery furnace. To trust in Jesus, you must realize you're a sinner. You must realize that in your heart you disobey and reject God's law. You must realize that your sin separates you from God. Faith in Jesus means that you believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Faith in Jesus means that you believe he is the Son of God. 
He was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect and sinless life in your place. Every human being, in order to know God, needs two things. They need a perfect, sinless life, and they need to suffer hell for eternity and get it over with. And none of us can do that because we're conceived as sinners, born as sinners. There's no way we can have a sinless life. Faith in Jesus means we believe that Jesus lived that sinless life for us and God accepts his sinlessness in our place. He is our perfection. He is our purity. And it means that we believe that when he died on the cross, God put on him all of our sin and all of our guilt and all of our corruption, and he suffered for it in a way we can't fully understand. Jesus, in his human nature, his body and soul, suffered eternal separation from God. It wasn't just a physical suffering. That was certainly part of it. But the greatest suffering and the most horrible suffering was separation from God without hope. We might ask, how can Jesus, who is both God and man, suffer separation from God? Well, he did it in his human nature. He was true human and true God, and that's the only reason that he can save us. Because, you see, God's judgment against us isn't just I'm going to put you in a lake of fire and burn you forever and you're going to hurt really bad forever. God's judgment against us is to be without him in absolute darkness, without hope, eternally. When Jesus says, whoever believes in me will never die, yet though he lives, yet though he dies, even though he dies, yet will he live? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about even when we die physically, we're not going to suffer that second death, which is an eternity separated from God, because that's what Jesus has done. Faith in Jesus means you believe God raised him from death and he rose into heaven. And faith in Jesus means you believe that Jesus is going to come back to earth again to judge the world. Faith in Jesus also means that God gives you faith and makes you different than all the other people in the world who do not believe in Christ, who do not believe in God. Real faith in Jesus means that God has made you a new creation, a new person. Faith in Jesus means that God has forgiven all your sins forever and that you know you are going to live with God and forever. And now, this is what the Bible calls salvation. Only God saves, but you have responsibility. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, if you're truly seeking God, and that is, that is the thought in your mind, the desire of your heart, you should understand that only the Holy Spirit does that work that even in seeking God for whatever reason, that is the Holy Spirit of God working in you to draw you to him because that's the only reason we will ever seek him. But God promises, you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. 
The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have never asked God to save you and give you faith in Jesus and make you a new person, a person who belongs to God, ask him to save you today. If you have believed in Christ, if God has given you real faith in Jesus and your life is full of the evidence of that faith, let this miraculous experience of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fill your heart and soul this morning. Think about it frequently. Think about their, what their experience means for you as a child of God. You see, the fourth man in the fire, the Lord Jesus Christ, is always with you. You cannot see him, but he is always there. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with you. When you are tempted in so many ways, Jesus is with you, even if it doesn't feel like it. When you are sick with sorrow over your sin, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is with you when you are stressed and afraid the son of god is with you when disaster strikes the king of kings is with you when your heart is breaking beyond all you can possibly imagine or endure the lord of lords the god of all comfort is with you and will not leave you in the darkest hours of your soul, when doubts and unbelief and confusion and sickness of body and mind and heart plague you, the bright and morning star is with you, shining his love and his knowledge and his power all over you, even through the darkness, and he will shine through. When you are dying, and you will die, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ will be with you and will deliver you from death and the fires of hell everlasting. God is a supernatural God. He is the fourth man in the fire. He is our Savior to deliver us from ourselves and our sin and from death and hell everlasting. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your wonderful display of your mighty, miraculous, and supernatural power. And we bow down and worship you we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the fourth man in the fire, our mighty, mighty Savior. In him we pray. Amen.